Hello, and welcome to With Open Mouths, the podcast. I'm your host, Kanita Lila. This podcast runs alongside Agnes's exhibition of the same name. The show With Open Mouths interrogates conventional museum practices. It asks if objects that originate from outside Western knowledge-making systems can find their voices in new ways. In this podcast, I sit down with artists, spoken word poets, musicians and curators to discuss the expression of their practice and to find out what inspired them to open their mouths and to be heard. We were stolen, put on display, taught a new language, distorted our face, what a shame. We were shining, they wanted us to And today, I am delighted to have Britta B with us. Britta B is an award-winning artist, poet, MC, voice actor and educator. In 2021, Britta won the Toronto Arts Foundation Emerging Artist Award and was named COCA Lecturer of the Year. Her work has featured in print, in sound and on stage across North America in notable spheres such as the Art Gallery of Ontario, CBC Arts, Poetic License, the Walrus Talks, TEDx and the Stephen Lewis Foundation. As an artist educator, she facilitates artist training seminars, poetry workshops and social justice programs in partnership with organisations like JU, Poetry and Voice and Prologue Performing Arts. Britta also serves on the League of Canadian Poets Membership Committee for Spoken Word and is the Interim Director of Hamilton Youth Poets. Currently, Britta is preparing to defend her MFA poetry thesis at the University of Guelph in early August and is looking forward to joining the School of English and Liberal Studies at Seneca College in Toronto as a spoken word professor in the fall. Britta! <laughs> I'm totally blown away by your accomplishments. Seriously, it's, it's amazing. Um, and like by your body of work, thank you so much for coming all the way to your hometown Yay. and joining us today. <laughs> thank you for having me, Kanita. That's <laughs> oh, a pleasure. Um, let's dive straight in. I think it would be really great if you can share a piece of your work with us just so that people can get a sense. Yeah. Okay. So this poem is called Black Boots. Here we go. Snap, snap, snap. <laughs> said no black and broke into black boots loosened the strings of my black black hoodie pulled my head see-through soaked black worry in a bath of black laughter tucked into tinkered out of black turtleneck fractures saw the spy on the other side of the tunnel Spat purple black paranoia over boom bap stitches. Hunch pitch black helmet hips. Black shellac fists rolled around black cotton sheets of t-shirts till I snatched cavities on a black satin dress. Jeez, took it off. Put on black track pants and black leather gloves. Pushed my way through the dark of a long black coat's arms. Parked in front of the mirror with black wings of what little I got. I and a lot of blackish and black begin every day re-entering this black-listed grin. Black comes back. 
Black attracts black. Black goes with everything, sure. But what would you give to be the blackest thing on earth? Mm. <laughs> ah. I always want fireworks to go off yeah. at the end. No, no, of no, the last no, no. <laughs> Whoa, man. Whoa, the blackest thing on yeah. earth. What are you thinking about? What do you? Th what is in your mind? Yeah. So, well, actually, growing up in Kingston. There wasn't a lot of other black or brown families to relate to and look at and be recognized by. And so uh, I was used to being the only black kid in my school or in my class or in a room. And so often I think about what it means to like stand out and be invisible at the same time, to not really be seen, to not really be recognized at, in terms of your full presence because there's stereotypes, there's biases or biases. And yeah, with this poem, I really wanted to complicate, not complicate, but look at the trouble of showing up in like your fullest self, but having that pride, that inner pride that keeps the momentum, that keeps you moving, even when uh, you could say adversities are against you or people's opinions, people's thoughts, uh, people's judgments, people's discrimination or um, any of the isms are are thrown onto you. And so, yeah, with this, I just I think this piece just wants to wants to see itself in its blackness and to understand also like blackness isn't just one thing um, and to be be available to that that full presence. Yeah, I I really like how you use, you know, black clothes and the fact that, you know, everybody, regardless of, you know, skin color, uh, adopt some kind of... You know, yes, but yeah, the clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that it is like, it's a... Something, it's readily adopted, you know, and, and how you transition that into, like, sharply, into actually, like, being that you know, and how that is so difficult to be accepted. And, you know, just how like the codes work, the fact that you can, you know, you can wear all these black things and, you know, they might be cool, might be elegant, you know, they read in all these different ways if people wear them. But like being in the body is totally, totally different. And I think that spoken word poetry has something to do with like poetry being embodied. Mm -hmm. When you were speaking now, it came from deep within. Can you please explain? Uh, it's the first, really, the first time you're the person who's introduced me to spoken word, really. Mm. Um, there's been a lot of, there's a lot of traditions in Africa about praise singing, for example, and this is the closest thing that it comes to, like praise singing. Um, you know, and I find a lot of similarities between your your work, your practice, mm -hmm. and praise singing. Could you talk to, to us a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think too uh, with embodiment. What it what is it that you as the artist can't take off? So when we think about like apparel or swag, armor, masks. When we think about these things we put on to show up, but what is it that you can't take off? What is the thing that you are left with when you are vulnerable, but when you are generous in being able to gift yourself to people? And for me, spoken word is my way of 
of letting others receive me because I'm able to hear my voice and control my voice. And if I'm not able to control maybe my surroundings, my environment, my company, um, my era, all these other things, so much of the world I can't control. My voice is something that is mine. It's my thing that I'm at least left with. It's the thing I hear when I'm alone or when I'm isolated or when I feel lonely or when I feel confused, caught up, when I feel these intense, complicated emotions um, and that I'm not at times when I'm most not able to use my voice, then I'm able to curate and write. Of course, writing is a part of it too, because I'm curating what it is that I want to be able to express. So I think spoke a word, a lot of people show up to spoke a word wanting to be able to get something off their chest or to kind of clear a cloud that's fogging their mind. And a blank page, for instance, is a place where you can begin to pour those thoughts, pour those feelings. And what's maybe really attractive about spoken word is that everyone, a lot of people are really afraid of being in a room and having the attention, like being able to speak in front of a room full of people. But with spoken word, you're not just like giving a speech, you're putting some music into it, you're putting some rhythm, you're putting some um, motion, some body movements, um, facial expressions, it's theatrical, it's dramatic and dynamic. And you get to kind of stage how that expression um, gets to be be visible, uh, gets to be heard, it gets to be sensed by the audience. Whether they interpret it the way that you want them to or not, it's still a play and an experiment and uh, a way of either telling a story or contributing like a piece of art to a scene or to a moment. I think of poetry in terms of moments and, and how you are reflecting value onto mm -hmm. a particular moment with what you choose to say, it automatically becomes valuable. And so, yeah, I think, I think poetry and spoken word specifically is, is very attractive because it's a chance to use your voice as you would want to be heard and as you would choose to have it experienced. Yeah, and, and it's, it's very, it's like a very overt form, you know, it's overt, like this, yeah. yeah, it's like this is what I, um, which is which is fantastic, which makes it really evocative, you know, it's like um, this is me and yeah. um, you either accept this or not. Yeah, but. it can be the opposite too. Like, like I imagine like overt as in you're going to take what I'm giving you, mm -hmm. but it could be the opposite of it too, where it's like, I want to bring you in. I want to have you in, it be go introspective, like go inside your mind, go inside your 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 faculties, your ability to to intelligibly intelligibly decipher the language, the sound of the language, the the cadence of the language, and I want you to be able to with where I'm going to land you with certain landscapes, parts of words, or even images. I want you to be able to meet somewhere in the middle of all that tension mm -hmm. and remedy a thought of your own and get to a, a thought of your own that maybe I can't tell you exactly what you need to be thinking right mm -hmm. now or reflecting on, but you'll get there. Mm -hmm. And that's a really beautiful thing about poetry too, is how you're able to gesture towards something without imposing it, mm -hmm. without like really pushing somebody to see it. 
Yeah, but but also it takes like movement on the part of your audience. Yeah. It's yeah. not it's not like, you know, opening a a book of poetry and reading it and then deciding, you know, or, or I'll pick it up or whatever. This is like here I am. What, you know, regardless of the type of experience, but here I am and this requires movement, you know. Um and I want to ask you how did you start on this journey because this is a dynamic journey and it's you know it's um it's kind of absolutely it's completely activist in you know it's activist like for the um spoken word artist and for the listener um how did you arrive like on this journey from Kingston yeah um <clears throat> growing up i spent uh, a good quality amount of time with my mom reading, reading and writing. And I remember the day she taught me how to spell my name. Like that's, that's something that will live with me, like feeling the pen in my hand and her hand around my hand and teaching me how to draw the shapes that would create the letters to spell my name. And that for me was this internal, like little switch that went off in my, my mind that just without knowing it full on in that moment. But looking back, I could tell myself, oh, I knew that writing would be a way for me to achieve some kind of power, mm. some kind of um, <clears throat> magic, let's say. Mm. And uh, growing up, my mom would spend time reading out loud with me, teaching me to uh, pause and use my breath and be able to look at an audience and address them. So we would stand, my little brother and I, sometimes in the middle of our living room and just pretend we were kind of giving a speech, but really working on the comfort of being up at the front of a room so that if we were ever given a chance, we would never be afraid to do that. We would always have this ingrained confidence of, of being at the front of a room and speaking our mind. And I got really into it because um, because of my mom, like sharing those skills with us and spending spending that time with us. It, then when competitions would come up, like little speech competitions at school and stuff, it would it would be a really easy thing for us to do because we had this quality of confidence that mm. other kids didn't have. And regardless of what we were talking about, <laughs> we had conviction. Yeah. <laughs> and so it made it interesting, you know, entertaining for an mm. audience. Also being like the only black kids in school, it made it doubly interesting. Yeah. Like, look how confident these <laughs> exotic children are. <laughs> um, and as I grew older, I had always been writing. Writing poetry was something that um, started as a like a letter to a pen pal from a very young age um, because I had a best friend that I had grown up with ever since I was little, but then she moved away, so I would write her letters. And then it was later in elementary school that I found out about poetry. And when my teacher explained what poetry was, I realized that I wasn't just writing letters to my best friend. I was writing poetry. That's the way my, my, that my mind worked. Mm. And so I've, I saw the connections from a very young age, like 10 years old. But I didn't know about any poets, especially any poets that looked like me, that were like making a life mm. out of writing poetry. Um, and I didn't know of any poets that were performing their work. That didn't come till much later in my life when I was leaving high school and going off to university. I started to be more on YouTube because YouTube was coming out 
by that time and seeing that there was places, especially in the States where artists would mingle, get together, share poetry out loud. And there was specifically one poet that really lit my mind up. Her name's V Young. And I saw her on Deaf Poetry Jam on YouTube. And the way that she was, as you say, embodying, moving across the stage, her stage presence, the character of her voice, um, the sort of music, musicality of how she was telling a story, but it was very poetic because of how expressive and lyrical it was. When I saw her do it, I was like, yo, I want to do poetry like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of what I would try to mimic in the way that I would now share poems with my friends, just gathering them together and be like, I have a poem I want to share. Let me know how you feel about it. Um, and for a while, it was just like a, a friendly thing. Like I would just share poems in front of my friends. And then throughout university, later at university, I saw that uh, there was like open mics and yeah. poetry club meets. And, and that's really where I would start to have a community of writers because um, at school I was studying biology. <laughs> it wasn't in English or in theater or anything like that. It was just a very private act for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And so once I started to see other examples, that that's when it gave me permission to attempt this more staged um, act of, it's not an act, but just the stage ability to perform a poem in front of an audience, in front mm. in a room full of people. Something that I wrote that came from my heart, mm. came from my my experience. And as you say, spoke a word in terms of activism. For me, spoke a word was the place that I could talk about the truth about, you know, dysfunction in my family. I could talk about um issues that I was dealing with in terms of mental health. And that's where I would I would be able to really understand more deeply for myself what accountability I could take for for that sort of experience, but also ask the world like what let's look at this together. Why is this happening to me? Why is this why is this violence going on? And who else is dealing with it? Why are we so ashamed to talk about it? And it really would help me to communicate to people mm. just in a better way than any conversation ever could. Yeah. You know, it's um, what strikes me is that you often tackle like difficult issues. You know, where did you find your strength to to take that on head on? Because, like you said, it's not people don't you know gravitate towards like difficult issues. Yeah. How did it? Like, what held you up? Were there people? So, I think in my younger years. No, I think I think even when I was young, I wouldn't look at it as strength. For me, it was how am I going to survive? And if I was going to hold it all into mm. myself, I wouldn't survive. Yeah. I wouldn't make it through. Mm. And I would harm I would do more harm to myself. Mm. Um and even though it might hurt a little bit for others, such as people in my family for me mm. to talk about what was happening, it would at least give me a creative way because I'm not trying to hurt people. Mm. I'm talking about something that has actually happened to me in my experience. I'm not trying to hurt anyone, but if it happened to hurt people along the way, it would hurt way less than what I was doing to myself if I kept it in. Yeah. So I think, 
I, I don't, I, I mean, we look at resilience, we look at strength. I don't really think I would use those words. I think it was self-preservation. Mm. I think it was a way um, of keeping myself together. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I understand that totally um, for myself too. It yeah. was just never, I, I couldn't, I needed something. Like I needed something in my life because, you know, yeah, there were just like obstacles and stuff that I just needed to deal with. And there was only, I had to be creative to kind of deal with that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like your, you said your mother gave you a lot of encouragement and support and, you know, you had a circle of friends and then, you know, it mm -hmm. kind of grew. Yeah. Both my parents actually, like my mom and my dad, despite you know, we all have flaws. We've all made maybe some serious mistakes in our life. Um, through all of that, both my mom and my dad have forever been uh, encouraging of their children, myself and my brother, living life happily. Mm -hmm. And so I think by way of um, of little things that they would do. So... Um, making sure that we have we would have time outside. That might seem like really simple, but no, that's a big deal. It's a big, deal. a big deal. Having time outside, making sure we had something to eat, um, traveling when we could, doing little road trips, um, going to amusement parks. We didn't have a lot, and I think now that I'm older, I can see how much um, b living as working class people living sometimes um, in, po in poverty, like not knowing when, <laughs> if you're gonna be able to make it to the next check, I could see how much damage that does to the mind, how much pressure and stress that puts on people, mm. many people every day, yeah. and how that can affect the quality of your life and just your own mind. Mm. And so I think when we get to a place where now we have dependence and things aren't going as well as we would hope they would be mm. for the people we are raising and supporting and surviving. Um, a lot of that can be expressed in ways that are more reactionary in ways that definitely not ways we mean to, but just in ways that want to show us that we exist. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I think most people around me growing up decided to, you know, kind of adopt quite negative strategies, you know, um, because they just weren't seen. They weren't seen in the world in, you know, um, as like poorer, as, you know, just like coming from tough, tough backgrounds. Um, but I, I also think that um, what I really love about your work is that you take those challenges and you, and you, you know, you kind of rocket ship them up so that you make them visible but also that there's the sense of um, movement. It's not just, you know, this is, this is where we are and it's tough and it's shit and mm -hmm. we hate it. You, you know, it's, it's, that's what I kind of want to like get at. Mm -hmm. What like propels you? Like what propels you? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm influenced by a lot um, in terms of teachers I've had mm -hmm. in my life and I think maybe an innate sense of wanting to provide something for someone mm -hmm. somewhere, mm -hmm. um, like not always knowing who that is or where they are, but having a sense of 
like you could get through this better than I did. Mm. You can you can trust that even though you might be in a situation right now, your mindset is what's going to help you to come out on the other side of it and be maybe not always grateful that you had to go through it, but at least grateful that you got through it and you can use it as fuel to create something forward, create something moving forward. Yeah, I just imagine, you know, I don't, I look at legacy a lot. Mm. I don't imagine legacy so much in terms of like blood relations, heritage, and like family stuff. I look at it in terms of community. And so I know that if I've experienced whatever I've experienced, I know that there's at least one other person that feels the same way mm. I do, regardless of if we have the same exact experience mm. or not. They feel they feel how I felt at a particular time now. How do I speak to them? How do I send those whispers, that voice of encouragement to keep moving? Because luckily I had whispers, whether I recognize them in the moment or not, mm. I had whispers that, and, and mentors and guides mm. in my life that were saying, keep going, keep yeah. going. Yeah, and, and I think also just like the power of seeing your face, you know, for a girl, yeah. little girl. Yeah. It's enormous. I wish I and saw hearing... my face when I was young. <laughs> me too. Uh, me too. I wish I saw your face when I was young. Really, because um, it's really lonely, like just, yeah. just like physically lonely. Yeah. And you think, you know, there's just me. This is crazy. And all 100%. like, and society's telling you this all the time. Absolutely. You know, like, why go that way? Why not just go this way where everybody else is going? Yeah. Um, and it's not, you know, for me, it wasn't just society, but it was my own family and the culture and all that stuff. Um, but to just have one, just to have like even one YouTube video and you think, ah, oh, you know, you kind of make that connection. That is really, really powerful. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we kind of overlook like the very, very simple things, you know, that kind of hold us up and yeah. hold us together. We want to see ourselves reflected. Yes. I think we need to, especially if you're a minority group, mm. you don't see yourself at all. You need to see something that represents you, mm. um, represents a part of you at least, um, because that will be more motivation for understanding that there's there's more than one possibility of what this outcome will be. Mm. Because patterns will tell you, well, if you come from a broken home, mm. you'll end up an addict yeah. or you know, an abuser or, pregnant. or yeah, teen pregnancy. Yeah. There's all these like patterns and stereotypes mm. and that, that societal, uh, um, I guess, tension of <laughs> you, you had a bad environment, so you'll be a product of that bad environment. Mm. Um, and there's less um, like humor. Mm. <laughs> there's less like satire um, and there's less um, like, meaningful uh, examples, I guess, meaningful examples of like what all the other infinite options possibilities are. and yeah. options are. Like infinite, infinite yeah. possibilities. Yeah. And when, you are, when you're a kid, you just cannot see that. No. You cannot see that. Yeah. Um, I, I just felt like, oh my God, I just have to get away from that little environment. Yeah. I just have to, have to, because it's not possible for me to do what I need to do there. Yeah. You know, and, and I need to kind of make like alternative um, options for myself. Absolutely. Because it's not going to. Yeah. And at yeah. that time, I didn't see a face like yours. 
Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I'm really interested in thinking about how you translate your um, your lived experience into your creative process. So mm. what does that look like physically? Where does it start? Like how do you, where do you get like the impulse? I mean, the impulse is happening all the time. Um, like that's why I always have a notebook in my purse, pen in my purse, mm. um, or like in my pocket, my back pocket. Um, because anything, like uh, I get... I guess I get triggered by like positively and negatively by things that I'm just sensing. And so my lived experience is very important because I have a hard time imagining things. I'm not the kind of creative that will imagine or like fantasize yeah. or just like invent a world. I'm living in whatever make-believe of this world <laughs> that I have in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I am trying to process it. So, so much of my truth is in my poetry because I'm processing it. And little by little, I'm learning how to reference and use references um, to things that might not be so personal to me, but, but use references in uh, a quality way, in a good way mm -hmm. that will help and serve my readers or serve my audience so that they have more entry into my work. Mm -hmm. Not to make it more accessible, but just so that just so that the the things that I'm writing are just better. Mm. Yeah. So who is your imagined audience? My imagined audience. That's tough because I I I think I think in terms of like vibe my audience is like on a level of energy that wants to feel good, mm. um, wants to feel good in a way that's not superficial and wants to um, rally and also be good being alone. Mm. So it's kind of like uh, my audience loves to be separately together. <laughs> That's a, that's great. That's a good answer. Um, yeah, like I I want to talk about your role as as an educator because you know, like um, just thinking about the audience and about the social role of your work. Mm -hmm. um, how does this, you know, especially with like social justice uh, programs? Yeah, teaching is a way for me to learn even deeper what it is I'm. Um, attempting to do in my work. And so when I get excited about teaching something to a group or even to a mentee, it's because I'm learning it at the same time as them. Mm. So if I were to look at, you know, my notebooks from what I was teaching last week to last year, it's very different where it depends on where I'm at in that time in terms of my own craft and my own process and social justice is important throughout all of that. It's a, it's, a, it's a major thread through my work because for my own personal values, I constantly think about what respect looks like and how people can exist sharing mutual respect for one another. And... If I am going to be in a space, I will want to ensure that I'm respected and that people who are uh, 
um, you know, share my company also feel respected and have a sense of respect from me as well. So social justice looks different for everyone, depending on how much knowledge they have about the world and their community. Um, but I think that with the help of social media, like, mm. like even TikTok is fascinating. Mm. Um, but Twitter is huge. I get all my news on Twitter mm -hmm. and uh, Instagram, things like this. I think the younger generations are way more in tune. Mm. Um, and demanding. And demanding. And, and, yeah. Like, what is this called? They have more agency. Yes, yes. And and, and they, they, they are advocating for change, seriously. Yeah. For the first time, really, they mobilized, you know, in a new way. Yeah, they're way more aware mm. than my group of friends yeah. were. Um, and maybe that's also because I grew up at Kingston. Like, we didn't, we wasn't very diverse growing mm. up at Kingston, right? So our issues were a little more um, just small town stuffs that would happen and not so much like thinking about the world and like what was going on. News is something you did when you got to be an adult. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, look at the yeah, news, yeah. but social media is the news. Mm. You know exactly mm. what's happening all the time. Yeah. Um, but, but I think I look at social justice. It's really important to me in everything I teach though, because it's a way of being responsible mm. for your yourself and also for how people are impacted by you having this time on earth. Mm. Yeah. Like, how do you see your students like responding to this? Um, I mean, are they very responsive? Oh yeah. The younger ones, especially like uh, grade fives and grade sixes, they know so much and they are so clear about their values and their morals. And, and they are so wonderful to listen to because it's so simple mm. how to be here mm. for each other. Mm. And they, the, the, the younger ones are just so um, open about talking about it. They're not afraid to talk about these deep violences that are happening and how things are unfair and how um, we're missing the point <laughs> of, uh, of living mm. um, in this time together. And, and then as we get older, I just find um, there's a mix of, let's say, young adults um, in like early 20s being so uh, um, like having a lot of energy about pushing um, pushing like justice for a particular issue. But at the same time, because it's probably tied to so much of their personal experience. They're also being really burnt out by talking about it. And also just day to day. Kind and of the day to day. Being exposed all the time. A hundred percent. There's mm. like almost too much responsibility that they're taking. Yeah. So it's like as a mentor and as a teacher, how do we also continue the conversation on how to take care of yourself, yeah. how to make space for yourself and, you know, to also step outside of the the activism a bit just so you can refuel, recharge mm. and be able to show up yeah. fully and fight. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's really important. Like that idea of like self-care and teaching it to kids. It's really inspiring to hear, you know, yeah. that, um, 
yeah, that the yeah the younger generation are they like for sure. But it's tough on them. It's tough on them because then again, social media works against that. It's like, what are you doing right now? Yes. Where's the instant gratification? And it's all yeah, yeah. It's kind of like you know pumping them all the time, all the time. Gee. But you, that's why you have to take the tech breaks. I love my tech breaks. Mm. Um, you also have to find ways of finding like. Self-care can be really expensive, mm. especially the way that our culture wants to show yeah. you self-care, you know. So th- now, again, like how do the whispers work in terms of how you are good by yourself mm. when you are alone? How mm. how do you be yourself when you're by yourself mm. and find yourself yeah. and love yourself and and celebrate yourself and not like not put yourself down, but be gentle and be kind to yeah. yourself? Yeah. How do you do that, Britta? Tell me, share, <laughs> share that fount of knowledge with me. I I'm journal. Just, oh, okay. But I also like, I love, I'm, I'm, I love burning bridges. So like, I, I love like setting up this like goal in my head for things mm. that I'm going to do for like, let's say for a month. I'm like, okay, for a month, I'm not going to eat cheesies. So now I have this goal or in chocolate. my head or chocolate. And then if I break that rule, I'm like, ha ha. <laughs> Yeah, like, go easy on yourself. Go break, easy on I'm yourself. like, yo, I'm being good. <laughs> I did it for two weeks. I'm happy about it. Now I'm going back and I savor it even more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's you've got to you've got to just build yourself up. You know that's yeah. so important. Like, yeah. how do you teach that? It's so it's so crucial. Like, how do you teach a child of color, black child, to to love themselves when so like so many generations before just haven't like we struggle with it right because everything is like against us right you know i think it's just we're against us yeah we are yeah. we are completely and we're completely complicit it's not as if it's this you know like outside i mean they can't care yeah. like the outside really don't that's the problem you yeah. know they don't like include us in like an imaginary even um but i think yeah we definitely have to make that like a priority definitely in in like Various ways. It sounds maybe uh, like exactly what a teacher would say, but I think if we read more and read more regularly, it doesn't have to be like an everyday thing, but the more we read, the more vastly we read, Mm. um, the more writers of color we read, Mm. uh, like... I just think that that will help so much and different genres we read. Yeah, that yes, time. Yes, I get you. Totally. Yeah. Totally, totally. I mean, that is what saved me. Yeah. For sure. Like public libraries yes. saved me. Totally. Shout out to the public libraries. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd be borrowing books and not bringing them back on time. I'm happy about it. Yeah, no, for sure. I <laughs> yeah. mean, it, it saved me like as a kid. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, it, that was like the door, like the opening. Yeah. You know, to see, to, to other people's minds, you know, to realize that like what I see and what I experience right here and right now is limited and crazy and everybody's crazy here. That's okay because there's a whole like room full of books that tells me. There's a whole room full of books and worlds and universes and voices and voices and that that will also open up that imagination. Mm. It will open that will help your critical thinking because you're being shown different perspectives. You're being shown different voices and and different personal traits that you can be more like or you can be less like. Like mm. I just think reading and and that opportunity to also read with others. It's 
it's a way of doing that self-care and the community stuff at the same time. Yeah, I think we we definitely, I need to read more. Mm. I'm reading way more than I ever have, but I still need to read more and more and more. Yeah, and, and, and it's amazing. It just gives you a sense of like just how much, and that is just so empowering, yeah. you know, that and, and that you can be part of that conversation. And, yeah. You know, yeah. It's lovely. Like, I love when I overhear people talking about books or when, you know, back in the day when we used to ride public transit. <laughs> no, no, this, this is my day. I'm, I'm there. I'm riding public transit. No, I just mean because of COVID and, uh, and, the, and the pandemic <laughs> when we used to ride public transit. But I see people with a book in their yeah. hand. And awesome. Then we, I like, oh, what are you reading? Like, I like seeing the cover and the title and everything. Yeah. Like, and you immediately know that's a certain kind of person. It's a certain kind of person. It's a certain kind of person. Yeah. Which is amazing. And then you can make recommendations. Yeah. And yeah, it's, this, <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> um, you, it's amazing. Like your future. You're going off to be a professor of spoken hey. word. Britta. Man, that's <laughs> awesome. That is so totally awesome. I wish I could take your class. It's yeah, me too. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> That's I'm like a, writing my course out. I'm like, damn, I want to take this class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Jeez. Um, yeah. Like, tell me about it. Tell me about your journey there and how you see your role. Like, yeah. I think as an artist, you're uh, a lot of artists that I know, especially myself, I love living in the unstable conditions, not knowing what's going to happen, where my mm -hmm. next job will come, the next opportunity, how much money I'll be able to make from it. Will it pay my rent? Will I don't know if you bills? love it. It's I a love bit thin, it. Like 10 years later. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love the unpredictability because it's such a surprise when things grow and things mm. evolve things have my trajectory has always just like doubled every year mm. like more and more little by little but more and more every year and so when I started thinking about I have a husband and you know if we were to start a family what sort of security can I bring to our household um I started thinking about well what would that look like if I'm if I don't have anything published yet and I just keep touring or I keep performing, mm -hmm. like what what's the thing that will hold us together? So I started thinking about, you know, publishing, but also going back to school and teaching and and, and what I don't know. I don't really know if, if I exactly chose this route, because what's funny about this particular job at Seneca is that. I was hosting something earlier this year at Seneca for Black History Month and a professor there happened to love me and I was asked this summer if I would be interested in teaching. So it wasn't even something that I had sought after. Yeah, but it found you. But it found me for a very like mm -hmm. beautiful particular reason because it's exactly what I want to be doing um and so much of my life is that so that's why I love being open to the opportunities the unpredictability of it because I just wouldn't be able to to choose it myself all the time I love what finds me um and this is another one of those moments that's definitely full circle too because it's an opportunity for me to be in a room that I didn't have when I was on my spoken word journey and yeah. now curate the next person, the next artist, the next poet's um, journey and their trajectory into performing, doing spoken word on a whole other level and contributing to the culture of spoken word in a whole new way. So mm -hmm. I'm very excited about it. Um, and 
who knows like what will happen from it like you know we're talking about like oh i wish i could take this class i literally want to take this class and and because i want to take the class i'm like okay everything i'm gonna get the students to do i'm also gonna do hmm. you know if there's goals that they're making i'm gonna make goals hmm. i'm gonna achieve those goals so it really reinforces again it helps me to to learn more on a deeper level what it is i'm teaching but also reinforces uh, how I'm also contributing to the culture of spoken word. Yeah, that's awesome. You're going to have such a fantastic time yeah. and they're going to love you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Britta, man. Jeez, I'm, yeah. I'm just so happy that you could come here to Kingston. Thank you. Uh, and join us today. Thank you for having me and shout out to the 603 Kingston. <laughs> yeah, shout out all my high school, my alma mater, Loyalist oh, wow. Collegiate. Vocational, LCVI, Lancers, What Up, Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to With Open Mouth, the podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Britta B, for speaking with us today. This podcast is hosted and produced by myself, Dr. Kanita Lela, and produced by Agnes Etherington Art Centre in partnership with Queen's University's campus radio station, CFRC 101.9 FM. The music is composed by Jamil 3DN and produced by Alroy EC3 Cox III. Subscribe now so that you don't miss our next episode. You can find the podcast on Digital Agnes, CFRC's website, and on podcasting platforms like Apple, Google, and Spotify. We'll see you next time. But let us tell you first, we were stolen, put on display, taught a new language, distorted our face, what a shame. We were shining, they wanted us in shade. They thought we would stay slaves. One chapter, but this novel has many.